Hey everyone, Tom here, Alpha Metallica. Welcome back to yet another episode of the show. Today we are not going through the alphabet. We're in fact going on yet another detour. It's just going to be me on this episode. And we're going to be looking at Metallica's musical guest appearances. So this is any time really any of the boys have appeared on someone else's record, be it playing a solo or you know singing a verse or whatever. And I don't know about you, but I've always been curious about these things. I've always read about these things. I always knew, for example, Hetfield was on Man or Ash on Corrosion of Conformity me holding it down for pepper which of course we'll get to and you know there's things here and there like i remember reading the guitar magazine when i was pretty young maybe 15 16 guitar techniques if anyone's familiar with it brilliant uk magazine way above my pay grade so difficult i didn't really learn much from it but uh, i definitely had some exercises to attempt anyway they reviewed albums in the back and the cool slant was that they pretty much just reviewed guitar albums so they're reviewing santana and i think all that i am is the album i think it was his sort of follow-up to supernatural Maybe the one in between that record. I'm not quite sure. I'm not too big of a fan. But um, anyway, there's a song called Trinity on that that Kirk Hammett was on. And that just sparked a little thing in my head, like the possibility of that existing. And I suppose when you think of the way James behaved over Jason, uh, you'd think this sort of thing doesn't really fly in the Met HQ. But there's uh, tons of songs for us to get through. You know, in some cases, there'll be whole albums that people have been on. And uh, yeah, structurally, I'm going to try and go chronologically in terms of guest by guest. So we'll start with James and then we'll go forward. This is in no way exhaustive. Like, you know, I've used a lot of Wikipedia, Spotify, Pitchfork, whatever, cross-referencing to try and find as many. And I found a lot of tracks, you know, but um, I'm sure there's more. And I'd like to do a follow-up episode, really, to clean up any of us, because I'm just curious to hear them uh, more than anything as a, as a podcaster, as an amateur historian of this band. So, uh, yeah, please comment below and let me know any tracks that you can think of that any of the guys guest star on, and I'll be happy to include them in the follow-up episode. Please follow the show at MetallicaPod, as always. Get into touch me metallicapod at gmail.com if you want to come on the show again if you've got a song from this list that's maybe missing uh and yeah if you just got any praise any, any any damning hatred it's all welcome over there patreon is there as well itunes if you want to leave us a review if you want to help support us on patreon you know you get access to episodes like this first straight away it's kind of like a little pay-per-view for us but uh yeah Let's kick off uh, with James, and we're going to 1988. This is his backing vocals on Twist of Cain and Possessed by Danzig. So yeah, this is a cool one. This is one that I wasn't familiar with. Danzig, of course, from Misfits. This was his debut solo album in 1988. Apparently, contractually, Headfield can't appear on the credits for whatever reason, some sort of obligation to Electra Records. But uh, yeah, you can definitely hear him here. I think especially on uh, Twist of Cain, which is the opening track, which is a really cool track. Like, I, I need to get into the Misfits, to be honest. I've said this a few times on the show. Whenever I've heard some of their music, I've really enjoyed it. Going back to the covers from the Garage Inc. days or otherwise, you know, a really cool band here and the riff it's got this sort of seductive sleaze to it that sort of tapers off and the song kind of follows a spirit level that it sets and i love glenn's sort of warbling you know faux elvis domineering on the track and uh hetfield is being hetfield he's screaming yeah so you can basically hear him in the chorus underneath you should have heard the clip there you know i i, I like the addition you know it definitely adds a bit of credence a bit of weight it's sometimes backing vocals really can bring the best out of things like i'm gonna be cliche and reference 
reference Guns N' Roses again, 14 Years, which a lot of people will be familiar with, where Izzy takes the lead and acts on the backing, and oh my god, that chorus is just a delight. And, you know, here is semi-similar trajectory, but yeah, check, definitely check out Twister Kane. In terms of the history, the guitarist of the band at the time, John Christ, would say, not many people know this, but James Hetfield and Metallica came down and recorded some backing vocals on that track. Hetfield also recorded vocals on Possession. So yeah, he was on Possession as well. Possession uh, begins with a sort of backwards piano in the beginning. You know, it's a fun number. There's lots of fuzz here. Again, Glenn is hovering around the periphery, you know, addressing the listener as someone who wants to stand upon their head and walk among their dreams. And yeah, Hetfield again is giving some grit behind. But uh, yeah, Twist of Cain and Possession is the first track. So I believe this is the earliest appearance. You know, I wouldn't have predicted this being even pre-Black Album, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, please, Metallica nerds. You certainly know more than me. But yeah, Metallica obviously have a huge love of the Misfits from, from Green Hail to Last Caress to Die, Die, My Darling. So, you know, no real surprise that we see Hetfield on here. Apparently as well, both of these tracks, Twist of Cain and Possession, originally written for Danzig's previous band, Sam Hain, who I'm not familiar with. So the next track, as I say in the intro, is probably one that a lot of people are familiar with. This is Man or Ash from Corrosion of Conformity, their album Wise Blood in 1996. <laughs> is a you know huge friend of James and it's so cool they have this sort of heavy metal riff friendship and you know Pepper obviously returned the favour uh, singing on the Tuesday Gone Back in vocals on Garage Inc as well and the, the song opens with laughter it feels very similar uh, to a lot of Corrosion of Conformity stuff that sort of black label crunch the sort of jerky busy riffs that you know snug, snugly fit in the pocket and maybe a little bit monomaniacal for me and slightly more repetitive perhaps than the environment that Metallica inhabit all in all but uh, you know it's it's a fun song and I like Pepper and I think um, Clean My Wounds which I've heard sort of through this podcast knowing about Corrosion and Conformity and checking them out is an amazingly good song uh, anyone that's aware of that track the solos in it are absolutely fantastic and if you watch any of the live versions I realise I've sort of been following them a little bit online and realise that the live version of that song becomes sort of a testament to Pepper and the lead guitar and they just solo off and there's some great videos there as well but I do like this song and I think it's better than a lot of what Corrosion and Conformity I've heard I don't they, they're a little cookie clutter for me but there's certainly some high points. Uh, shout out All Music, Stephen Thomas Erlewine. His review of the album as a whole sort of sums up my approach to Corrosion. He says, quote, Wise Blood doesn't have half the hooks of its predecessor, which means it sounds great while it's playing, but it disappears into the abyss once it's finished. And Hetfield stuff is great here. The, These are primitive and the screaming to couple it out as well. You know, he's full-throated on it. He's giving the best for it and he's kind of relegated similarly to a sort of pre-chorus mode here, uh, sort of a come Accompanying figure. We'll get into more of his lead work, singing uh, later on. Shout out NASCAR. But um, yeah, this is a track, as I say, that you probably heard. Definitely check it out. And I enjoy this one. And it's nice to hear. I imagine it's recorded sort of the reload load era as well. And it kind of fits together. It's a lot heavier than that, though. Pretty satisfying number. So shout out to the band. And Wise Blood, I should say as well, interestingly, the name of the album, as we say, written by Flannery O'Connor. It's actually based on the name of a novel of hers. Pointless little Wikipedia fact I thought I'd share with you. So the next song is 1999. This is with Primus. This is Eclectic Electric. I think I'm blinded by the sun. 
Okay, this is a really cool song. Primus again are a band not too like I know their history and I know Larry Lalonde and Les Claypool from their time with Tom Waits and a voice. Tom Waits actually appears on this album as well. Yes, guys, I did do a Tom Waits podcast. Did you know about that? This album's called Anti Pop. It's from 1999, as they say. Uh, you know, featured Tom Waits, featured Jim Martin of Faith No More. Fred Durst was on there. Tom Morello as well. This is a perplexing number and very different for Hetfield to inhabit. Has dare I say Lulu Shays to a certain extent definitely check this one out it's about eight minutes long and it opens damage ink-esque with the swells and the sort of enigmatic warbling and anyone familiar with les claypool's playing you know he's sort of geddy-esque but certainly you know far more experimental and odd and just utilizes the sort of higher edges of the neck of the bass frets to you know incredible extent so um yeah it has this it's three movements as well, I should say. Um, the movements are part one is Blinded by the Sun. Part two is Sanity is Coming to Town. Part three is Pressing Onward Towards the Light. And the song is carved into these uh, trimesters. So, yeah, the first part, as I say, is the sort of obscure, dense, you know, odd rhythms that aren't really there. And the sort of the singing over the top, talking about, you know, uh, I remember when I was a baby gazing in amazement at the sky. And all James is doing here is kind of chugging, like in a... In a pensive lyrical way but you know just sort of chugging there's just kind of a you know a solemn nature to his playing to a certain extent so it's a little bit of a, a bit of a menace there as well and then the song slows down um you know we get back to almost like a defibrillator like pulse and then i think i'm blinded by the sun is is shouted and the song just ramps up like really gets heavy and intense and you know the horsepower on this track is is awesome and you know delicious Hetfield stuff, the way he sort of careens with grace uh, it, and the sense of movement going forward as well. You know, it gets eccentric and inward towards the end. And again, the dynamics change as we say we get to the, the final part of the trilogy, pressing onwards towards the light. But yeah, this, this is a fun song. And um, the end as well, where there's sort of a long bass note hovering and Hetfield's chugging like a, like a primitive man trying to spark fire, you know. But uh, yeah, shout out to this song. This is definitely an interesting track. So the next track, also from 1999, this is on the South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut soundtrack. Of course, it is Hell Isn't Good. <laughs> actually seen this movie uh, I, I don't mind South Park I'm not a giant fan but I do need to see it. I appreciate the cultural reasons but yeah James Hetfield was in this apparently uh, it took more than a year after the film's release for James to actually come clean about contributing but I only listened to it for the first time a few days ago I'm sure many people are uh, you know very familiar with it and yeah it's obviously James it's a really cool track a bit of a jackhammer of a riff uh, James inhabiting more of a comedic mode here adopting the Lucifer persona and yeah not too much to say here but uh, I, I like the way it sounds and again I can't really fathom that people wouldn't know it was James instantly because you know he does give it all the gargles and all the uh, embellishments that he's wanted to do but yeah this is from the South Park soundtrack as we say and uh, a cool number very cool that you got involved to do this okay next up we have Hetfield's appearance on Driving Rain by Government Mule
This is from 2002. Uh, this is on the Crank It Up, which was a NASCAR-sponsored compilation. Uh, here's something from the press release, quote, Metallica frontman James Hetfield and Primus bassist Les Claypool make guest appearances on Government Mule's track Driving Raid, which is set to be included on the forthcoming NASCAR-sponsored compilation entitled Crank It Up, which will be released through MCA Records on May 21st. Hetfield, a longtime fan of Government Mule, who previously interviewed the group for a guitar magazine, reportedly contributes vocals to the aforementioned cut. And Government Mule have this rare, I think unique claim in Metallica history that, uh, you know, we're going to get to a later song when we get to the Newstead era. And, you know, Newstead was involved with those guys as well. And I think they're the only people who have had two separate members of Metallica, you know, guests from their roster, which is very cool. Uh, Les Claypool, we should say as well, that we mentioned prior with Primus. Really cool to see these guys together again. And Les, of course, uh, auditioned to take over from Bass Juice after Cliff Burton as well. And this is a really fun track. Like, you know, if you want to hear Hetfield on some Skinnerd, Ullman Brothers, you know, that type of flex. And, you know, really fun number. Uh, goofy, as you expect, to go on a NASCAR number. Playing is awesome. Guitar solo is great. Uh, I like Government Mule, you know, from what I've done and reinvent the wheel you know it's a bit of a no-brainer and james essentially starts in the second verse takes the second verse solo and then him and the singer of the band uh, sort of duel it out and oh james james you know really really plays up to it and really seems to be enjoying it and to be cutting loose here and uh yeah i don't know if many people have heard this necessarily it's sort of hidden away on that compilation i sort of found it through research but uh yeah but check it out if this is your sort of jam and, and why shouldn't it be really it would be great to see hetfield in this sort of arena maybe in the future a lot of people have fantasized about some sort of solo album or something like that and i can imagine it may be going this sort of direction perhaps maybe a little bit more experimental this government mule thing is very you know typical uh you know very nascar dare i say but you know i enjoyed this and i think you will too okay and next up we have jason newstead has lots of interesting projects the first one i could find was from 1998 i won't really count flotsam and jetsam like obviously that is there and and check it out and weirdly they have a song called fade to black on their debut as well which always creeped me out so yeah this is from um 98 this is with sepultura hatred aside So yeah, Jason not playing bass here. Jason playing baritone guitar, percussion, pheromone, and also contributing vocals. Um, again, this was the seventh album of the band. It's worth saying as well that they would actually go on to support Metallica uh, subsequently after this release on their May 1999 tour in Brazil. Jason will go on to you know work with the band a few times. Uh, the 1999 Metallica tour of Brazil, uh, Sepultura supported, quite obviously. And then uh, for their first gig of the tours to support this album, uh, Newstead was also there, and that was recorded as a performance called Noise Against Hunger. He was a guest appearance there as well. And yeah, this track is a, a Sepultura track. I don't really know too much about the band. I know the, the boys, Clinton and Ethan, are huge fans of those. Definitely need to check this band out. Pretty certain you can hear Jason. For the most part, it's a sort of riffy Sepultura song, but I'm pretty certain you can hear Jason around 3 minutes 25. Kind of like an odd gurgling where the whole song peels back and stuff like that sort of thing. And maybe that's a Ferrumin or Newstead with his baritone guitar. But yeah, it's definitely different. I can imagine him laying down so check that out check out this song and the next one comes in 2001 you may be familiar with this you may be uh, expecting this if you haven't i promise you this is real this is jason jamming with the adolescent moss brothers <laughs>
So if you go onto Spotify and actually search Jason Newstead, for some reason, Moss Brothers is, you know, connected to him. I suppose he is the biggest thing that ever happened to them. If you're not familiar with the Moss Brothers, they are um, Moldy Peaches-esque, you know, a sort of charm, I, I don't know, sort of amateur core sort of element. Uh, let, let, as ever, MTV is going to explain. Shout out to Joe D'Angelo. This comes from the uh, 4th of May, 2001, entitled Ex-Metallica Bassist Newstead Plays with Young Duo. He may have logged 14 years of arena gigs during his days of Metallica, but bassist Jason Newstead's first public appearance since his split with the Metal Perennials saw him jamming alongside a 12-year-old guitarist at a small Berkeley, California club on Sunday. Newstead, who left Metallica in January, joined the Moss Brothers at the Ashkenaz Club for the release party of the young pop rocks duo's second album, Electrication. Jamming with guitarist Ruben Moss and his 15-year-old brother, drummer Evan Moss, wasn't exactly spontaneous, since Newstead contributed bass lines to all but one song on the 12-track Electrication. The group's manager, who's also a publicist for Oakland jazz club Yoshi's said he gave Newstead a copy of the Mo- of the Moss's debut album on the north side of the tree in December 1999 when Newstead was attending the club. Liking what he heard, Newstead invited the boys over to his house for a jam session that eventually led to the three musicians playing together a total of seven times, including a gig at San Francisco's Last Day Saloon in April 2000 and several promotional appearances in Dallas last August. While basking in Newstead's star power certainly helped raise the band's profile, Evan and Ruben were actually doing just fine on their own. Two songs from their 1999 debut, Football All The Way and Baseball, were regularly used by sports radio shows, and at 10 years old, Ruben became the youngest guitarist endorsed by Fender Guitars, their manager said. So so yeah, this is fucking crazy, right? That Jason played bass on these young kids. I wonder what they're doing now. I'll try and find this out during the episode. So yeah, as I say before, it, it, it's it's lo-fi and I fucking love Jason for doing this. What a dude and, you know, being part of this. And I don't think he did it in any sort of way to just use his star power to sort of bring shot in the back. I think he just wanted to play with them. And yeah, his bass is there and here on the track and he certainly isn't sticking to the root notes and he's able to flesh out the tunes. So yeah, check out this song if you're not familiar. It's uh, <laughs> certainly an interesting one. Okay, now we're looking at something that preoccupied Jason for six years his time in Voivod a Canadian heavy metal band from Quebec realised that I maybe have seen a band they are uh, considered amongst the big four of so I didn't know there was a big four in Canadian fresh metal call me an idiot uh, but yeah there is a big four of Canadian fresh metal Voivod are in there of course Sacrifice Razor and Annihilator I remember seeing Annihilator support Trivium in maybe 2006 in Wolverhampton and me and my friends went and metal bands maybe bands in general but certainly metal bands back then had a horrible habit of sending all the label mates on a gig together so I think there was like five support acts and then Trivium and you know it was just sort of generic nothing metal and Annihilator with a sort of penultimate act before Trivium and I remember suddenly the room turned people were like really into Annihilator and I was like eh, you know so shout out to Annihilator but um, Voivod yeah and Jason was basically on two albums um, he was on their 11th album Cartors I believe I'm saying that right I believe the name of the album is Phonetic Spelling of Quatros the French word for 14 I'm saying that horribly wrong uh, he's also on Infini um Oh, I'm saying that wrong as well. Uh, their 12th studio album, and it was there that that and that album was the last to include contributions by their late original guitarist Piggy, and the last also to feature Newstead. So yeah, Newstead features on these tracks. The song Dog Nation is the one that I just played you there. Check out the album cover as well. It's cool to see Newson's head and Shantz with all the members, you know, here in a different different legacy musically. I don't mind the track. Uh, it's not necessarily the sort of thing that I would listen to wholesale, but maybe I need to listen to it more. Again, I'm sort of 
doing some jumping off points hopefully here for you guys you know if you like the track there'll be cases like Voivod where there'll be albums worth of this stuff or indeed like the Moss Brothers shout out the Moss Brothers by the way I just listened to uh, Baseball in the break between recording this one and the other one that's a that's a fun song they went into my playlist so uh, yeah they're not doing much anymore I couldn't seem to find them online but uh, nonetheless Jason and the Moss Brothers I can't believe that fucking happened so uh, the next song we're going to talk about is with Government Mule man these guys are, are honorary fucking Metallica associates and you know very very cool as I say that these uh, separate members have joined Jason made his debut covering 30 Days in the Hole uh, the Humble Pie cover with the band I believe in New York This song as a whole takes place on the Deep End Volume 2. This is the fifth solo album by the band. Uh, essentially, the founding member and bass guitar player, Alan Woody, had, had died, unfortunately. The band began recording tracks using bass players that Woody had admired, and, you know, some great talent on here, including Jason. There's Jack Cassidy from Jefferson Airplane. There's Les Claypool. There's Les again. There's actually Phil Lesh, who's a founding member of The Grateful Dead. It's a good track, this one. It's a bit of a groover, again, not dissimilar to the NASCAR stuff that James was peddling earlier. You know, it's got a sort of Paul Rogers vocal in the aspirations, lots of space, lots of drum fills. The bass is busy as well and interesting and reminds me a little bit of a, you know, a Blackstone Cherry or something like that, something that's constantly riffing at you. Some some Scott H. Birum, for example, is similar. And, uh, you know, it's Southern Fried. I like the movement of the track. There's nothing necessarily outstanding, but it's an intriguing bunch of melodies. And uh, yeah, shout out to Jason yet again, doing something different. 2002, yet again, it was a starting point for another project by Jason here. This is Popper Wheelie. a punk or they are I should say a punk heavy metal jam band formed in 96 by Jason the band apparently emerged from a mountain biking based friendship between Jason and his neighbour bike shop owner early in the project Newstead played the drums and Steve Wig played the guitar since then Newstead assumed full guitar and vocal responsibilities and Wig returned to the drum kit the band records every single session at Newstead's home studio The Chop House and have played several Bay Area gigs um, the song Unicycle which is the album as well that gets released is pretty fucking cool actually this is definitely one of the better Jason things that I've found here. they've all been pretty good but yeah it's got that sort of skate gutter punk sort of angst ridden idea here you know and um it had a lot of balls to it to be honest with you the vocals were murky and th there was violence in jason's voice and you know I, I i enjoy the whole song i really really enjoy this one so definitely check out you know psycho yeah another of jason's side projects okay so the next one is one i actually have expertise on i remember watching this tv show at the time Rockstar Supernova, anyone? This was a sequel to the original NXS show, which I didn't see, where they basically went through the pop idol psycho process to get a lead singer. But I did watch this one. This was quite a cool show, and it's actually available on YouTube. I'm pretty sure me and a guest, the names escape me at the moment, apologies, discussed this show as well. And essentially what it was, there was this new super group with Tommy Lee. Uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Drummer of Motley Crue. Jason Newstead, no doubt a legend. Gilby Clark. 
I think less so. I mean, shout out to Gilby. Obviously, everyone remembers Gilby from uh, him joining Guns, I think, on the Illusion Tour, and then he was kicked out because he couldn't write. And he was always a bit of an Izzy clone physically, I think, certainly not on the fretboard. And I don't mind Gilby. I don't mean to be, like, ripping into Gilby Clark or whatever. Like, he actually comes off as quite a cool guy in the show. And, you know, he is a little bit of a legend on his own rise with fucking Guns N' Roses. But, yeah, this was uh, this was a TV show. I think it was, like, over, like, 10, 12 weeks or whatever that Jason was on this whole thing. I might have to do a deep rewatch of Rockstar Supernova in the future if I'm running out of content. But yeah, essentially, they were looking for a singer. Dave Navarro was there as well, helping out, rocking out. And, you know, I can still remember some of the singers. I remember watching it in my room on my little TV. And I don't know what channel it must have been on MTV or something like that, or Channel 4 or something. But yeah, being really eager to watch it. Talking with my friend Rachel at school about it as well. Patrice Pike and Ryan Starr. And I realize his names mean nothing to you. But like, I think Lucas was the guy who won it. It was quite disappointing. The guy who won it was sort of this post-hardcore Tom York. He was like, not a good fit for the band at all. So, I should say this counts in a sense as a, a sort of Newstead guest appearance. They did release a self-titled album. Uh, it was released on November 21st, 2006 through Mark Burnett Productions and Epic Records. The band, as I said, was formed during the second season of the Rockstar TV show. And yeah, apparently the album received mainly negative reviews and only charted at number 101 on the Billboard 200. Uh, however, apparently Canada was a huge hit. It was number four on the charts, uh, certified platinum as well. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a confusing record, really quite bland. I think the the problem is if you've got Gilby driving the ship, which it kind of has to be for a TV friendly sort of rock and roll environment, then yeah, it's uh, not necessarily one of the most moving ones. They did play some numbers on the show and they had a few cool things on the show where they would play riffs and they would invite people to write melodies on the spot and engage with it. And all the guys lived in a house as well. So if you're looking for a sort of a trash thing that isn't littered with hashtags or wall cuts and is a bit more of the pure green times of 2006 or so, definitely check it out. I'm sure there's some cool Newstead stuff in there as well. But yeah, the song that I played is the song that I think was on the theme tune as well. And the riff is kind of cool, but nothing really gets done with it. And I think they did the guy who won. They did his song as their song rather than a rock star supernova song. So uh, kind of says it all. Just to close us out as well, shout out to Stephen Thomas Erlewan again. I want to shout out all music as well. I'm sure many people like myself love to go on Wikipedia, love to discover albums, love to see the reviews down below in the little box. And one of the things that's always there with stars and the little citation you can press is all music. And I thought to myself, like, all music on this thing all the time, this kind of you know, online depository, this encyclopedia. So I found the all music guide on Amazon, this huge uh, yellow pages notebook. It's got like a thousand pages, you know, going through every single genre, all their reviews. So definitely check that out. I've done that for like, you know, the equivalent of $10 it's currently holding down my uh, my speaker at the moment but uh, yeah uh, the, uh, he concludes that at no point does this band make sense this is a rockstar supernova it's gloriously bad the kind of music that can only result when free talented musicians are contractually applicated to work for a wannabe singer who will be a laughing stock on a local level Ow, uh christian horde of rolling stone also said the album has a few bright spots but most of the tunes feel tired if not retrograde opener it's on could have come from a collective soul the ballads suck and there are some dark sub alice in chains bangers so uh, not Newstead's finest hour. Something cooler that it was part of, this came out in 2011, was Out of My Mind, Holy Water, which is a two songs that he was part of of an actual album itself um, called Who Cares. This is by Ian Gillen and Tony Iommi.
fundraising album, a direct continuation of the Rock Aid Armenia project. The CD, the sales were dedicated to raise money to rebuild a music school in Armenia after the destruction of a city in a 1988 earthquake, uh, to buy musical instruments for the school. And yeah, as I say, it was released in 2011. A cool release for Jason to be part of. You know, I think not necessarily the songs I mean there's some, another rock star supernova supergroup I should say so we've got Ian Gillen on vocals Tony Omi on guitar guitar is also uh, Miko Linda Lindstrom who's from him uh, bass is obviously Newstead drums Nick on the brain from Iron Maiden and keyboard in his last performance before he unfortunately passed away is John Lord of Deep Purple fame both of them are you know what you'd expect from those sort of people uh, you know straight ahead rockers that have a sort of charitable aspect to them as well uh, you know especially in the song Holy Water which uses a traditional Armenian instrument the duduk uh, by two Armenian musicians and uh, yeah this one I like quite a bit actually has a kind of ethereal atmosphere to it and then that thundering chunky riff um, you know I can't say that Jason necessarily adds too much to the track but I think it was more about his name being there you know and it's great to see him kind of you know putting in the time and, and being available and this, the song is fine and the song as I say is kind of you know what you would anticipate from this sort of mixture of musicians um out of my mind as well uh, on the same page really but yeah check these ones out they're available on spotify worth a quick listen again something that i wasn't too familiar with before and the final release for newstead was from 2013 this is heavy metal music is the only studio album by the heavy metal band Newstead, which is a great name for a metal band, isn't it, Newstead? Uh, it was released on August 6, 2013. Uh, it was the first release of Newstead to, release, uh, to feature guitarist Mike Mushuk, who joined the band following the debut release EP called Metal. Um, so yeah, uh, Metal's available there as well for you to listen to. I don't really like this, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I am a big Newstead fan. I think his releases have been good over the last decade or so that we've gone through. But yeah, this feels sort of... Um, I listen to Mark Tremonti's like, later solo work. It's kind of... I don't know, with, with this sort of heavy riffing chugging, you do have to be inventive. You do have to sort of, you know, come at it from a different angle. And this feels just very tired. Uh, you know, I haven't listened to all of the tracks. Uh, you know, I listened to King of the Underdogs and Soldier Head. And, you know, uh, I don't know, it was didn't move me especially let me know what you think of these tracks down below as well but yeah shout out Newstead yet again coming with a solo project and it's still fucking cool that a member of Metallica came out a solo project and I don't think he got necessarily the hype that he should have done maybe because the quality wasn't quite up to par but uh, maybe it'll grow on me you know a lot of these I should say I'm just giving you a sort of quick take on them I've not necessarily let them bed in but uh, yeah Newstead with heavy metal music okay now we get into Kirk and our first appearance from him 1997 very interesting appearance very interesting collaboration as well this is on the Spawn official soundtrack uh, to the movie back in 1997 and it was him teaming up with Orbital. Uh, 
I don't know if anyone's familiar with Orbital. They're, you know, quite a big uh, electronic dance duo, uh, actually from Kent, England. Two brothers, Phil and Paul Hartnell. And yeah, this reminds me of all the PlayStation 1 video games that I played in the late 90s. You know, it's very Prodigy-esque. It's got those sort of scratchy, on-and-off, analogue, tempestuous occurrences, you know. Uh, not a lot of searching to this track, really. It's just... Yeah. Kirk sort of chugging and playing the odd riff here and there and there's some nice wide whammy at the start and the word Satan is announced as we kick into a very sort of late 90s drum beat you know uh, it feels a little frazzled in parts but yeah a cool little thing a little uh, interesting bit of miscellany really that they would team up for this and it just it makes perfect sense really in a sort of completely nonsensical way and it's, it's all pretty layered and pretty compelling and towards the end carves Kirk kind of carves out a squeaky space above the rush of the track and then it becomes a bit gibberish at the end and fades out and yeah I don't mind it I think it, it makes sense in terms of a movie in terms of a soundtrack in terms of providing some sort of backing but in of itself yeah definitely worth checking out in 2005 Kirk as I said before was on Carlos Santana's album All That I Am he was on the track Trinity alongside steel pedal guitarist Robert Randolph. Apparently Santana personally asked Hammett. Hammett had previously worked with Santana in 2001 at a live show benefit in San Francisco. Apparently Metallica had also invited Santana into the studio while recording St. Anger. Apparently so, yeah. So this is a cool song. This is a very cool song if you want to hear Kirk inhabit a different mode here. Reminds me a little bit of Satriani and like Santana is such a unique player. Like, you know, he just sort of rings those notes for all they're worth and really has some genuine pathos and emotion there. And, you know, it's a good number. It incorporates a lot of guitars at the same time, a lot of leads overlapping. There's lots of ascending movements, lots of cross pans. You know, there's a nice groove building up and it complements each other. The lines swoon and attack. And, you know, it's not hard to discern which one's Kirk. And Kirk has some nice playing here. You don't really hear him in more than his sort of, you know, hippy-dippy ashram sort of idea that Santana can't help but espouse musically and you know it's very singable as well which is a good uh, marker uh, of a solo uh, vocally resonant interesting um i dig this track i dig this track a hell of a lot it has this main motif that keeps getting returned to as you know santana songs sort of do uh kirk is rocking up the war as i say and, and santana is a beautiful solo as well robert randolph equally the climbs are terrific so yeah check out trinity if you get a chance it's been really fun researching this episode because there's been so many surprises that i never knew existed the next one is definitely one of them uh, Kirk appears on Kanan's 2006 album, uh, Troubadour, playing on the song If Rap Gets Jealous. Now, uh, Kanan was someone that was only familiar to me because I believe he did the... 2010 World Cup song, which I think was popularised in the Coca-Cola adverts. But yeah, the guy is a huge deal. And, you know, clearly a talent listening to this track. Did enjoy this track. So I can Fuck that, I'm gonna stay alive, I'd rather do a stage job. 
He's a Somalian Canadian poet who's, you know, a massive deal, obviously from that song and otherwise. And yeah, Kirk's on this. It has, um, you know, a huge hook. It's a rap song for the most part. Uh, the idea of, you know, living a life outside of the genre that he exists in. Uh, exists in. The production is really pleasant and clean and Kirk can be heard in the background and there's a little solo at the end. There's kind of some flinty playing in the accompaniment and it has this kind of modern rap production where just the verses sound huge, you know, really cut through the mix and has a good vibe. Again, like with Santana, Kirk was just doing other stuff before Death Magnetic and enjoying himself. Apparently the album was recorded in the legendary Tough Gong Studios in Jamaica and other guest musicians on there alongside Kirk include Maroon 5's Adam Levine, uh, Damien Marley, Most Def and and Chub Rock. Speaking to Spinner.com, uh, K9 actually spoke about Kirk's involvement. He said, quote, I met him at Bonnaroo and he was such a nice man, a cool dude. Stephen Marley introduced us. So I thought I so I thought I wanted to have another version of this song on this album to kind of constantly affect the genre hopping. I thought, what could be better than having him on for a great guitar solo? And Kirk's final appearance comes 2014. This is his, his reunion with Exodus on Salt in the Wound. Now this comes from the Rolling Stone article in 2014. It says, quote, More than three decades after Kirk Hammett departed Exodus, the Bay Area fresh metal group he helped found joined a bunch of upstarts called Metallica. The guitarist has returned to his roots. For the first time ever, Hammett made a proper studio recording with the band, playing a bluesy pyrotechnic solo on the charging Salt in the Wound, which will appear on their forthcoming 10th album, Blood In, Blood Out. Hammett described the recording as being, quote, really casual, really cool, when he told Rolling Stone about the recording earlier this year. Quote, I play a pretty cool solo solo and then Gary comes in and plays another solo and you know what I listened to that and thought wow it's 1982 all over again and here we are Gary and I are trying to cut each other's heads off for guitar solos nothing has changed much in the last 30 years I love it I love those guys I've only known them for most of my life so I'm really happy that I finally got to record with them the only other times that Hammett recorded with Exodus were on the group's first two demos he was totally gung-ho about it Holt said in a statement about Hammett's contribution to the song he came down and ripped out a bunch of takes and we picked up the best one and then had a barbecue and drank beer so yeah, this is a kind of standard riffing mode of Exodus. Again, Exodus are a bit of a question mark for me. I've listened to a little bit, but yeah, not, not too interested to be honest with you. But you know, it has a pulse. It's pretty enjoyable. The vocals are pretty wrenched actually and more cartoonish than I anticipated. But you know, they're serviceable. And yeah, the Kirk, Kirk solo is undeniably Kirk, uh, you know, drenched in noir, slightly obtuse shredding as well. Gives way to a, a secondary solo, as you mentioned before. Uh, something Metallica pretty much doesn't do, but bands like Exodus, Iron Maiden, etc., they, they revel in the second solo. And I should say as well, finally, uh, the album cover to this record, Blood In, Blood Out, that Kirk's on is, is crazy. Definitely Google image that right now. So basically it's this giant sort of hell furnace Satan factory, uh, you know, that Blake warned us about. And in the foreground are horrifying zombie men who seemed uh, possessed and they're swallowing their own limbs and biting off their fingers. And they're connected to small fetuses in, in glass jars in front of them in little pods. So yeah, Exodus. Cool stuff, man. Okay, now we get to Lars, and only one entry for Lars, unfortunately. This is with Merciful Fate. Uh, basically, when they reunited in 1992, their third album, In the Shadows, featured a re-recording of Return of the Vampire, demo track uh, from the early 80s that hadn't made it onto any of the band's official albums.
And yet this is really cool to see. Lars one of his heroes, you know, contributing and just recognizing them as how brilliant as they are. And, you know, Merciful Fate obviously mean a lot to these guys, Lars particular. There was an article online in which Lars listed his 15 favorite metal and hard rock albums. And he named Melissa uh, by Merciful Fate in 1983. He said, Merciful Fate were obviously a significant pivotal band on our radar. They were a big part of shape Metallica sound. And for a lot of people in the hard rock underground, they were one of the bands that got their name around. This was their first proper album. It was a huge, huge, huge influence on a lot of the next generation of bands like ourselves. They were also great friends and became partners in crime. We rehearsed in a rehearsal studio. We did shows together. We actually did a medley of all their songs for one of our Metallica Garage albums. They had two guitars, lots of harmonies, and musical adventures. Some of the songs are really long. The song called Satan's Fall that's got to be at least 10 minutes long or something. And this is vintage Merciful Fate from what I've heard pretty much from the Metallica covers, you know. Uh, lo- lo- lots of nice pedal point riffing, lots of damnation, lots of squealing leads. A lot, lot sounds good as well. You know, it's a bit more static perhaps than Metallica. He's, he's, you know, he's a bit more formal uh, as the occasion demands. But yeah, interesting track nonetheless. And I think that's Lars's only one. If there's more, which, you know, there probably is, I probably forgot. I'm not that far of a human being. But yeah, if you know of any others where you've seen Lars on there or any of the other guys that I've missed, as I said before, comment below. And we'll get to the final one. So this is Rob, who, you know, has got quite a few here. So Rob obviously has incredible history. I mean, I'm not really going to count Black Label Society, Infectious Grooves, Suicidal Tendencies, etc. because, you know, he wasn't in Metallica then, you know, technically, and it'll just save me time from making notes as well. But shout out to all those bands. Can't say I listen to much of any of them. Although Suicidal Tendencies, uh, certain people in my generation will remember in Tony Hawk's one, uh, Psycho Vision was on there, which is such a fucking good song. Like, I, do, I do like Suicidal and obviously love Rob, so I should check them out as well. He also played with Glenn Tipton on Baptism of Fire, Mass Mental, not quite sure who they are. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, you know, I think he only played on one album, the Down to Earth album, but he also did the sort of uh, remixed reissues of Blizzard of Oz and Diary of Madman, which are a bit weird, obviously on Live at Budokan as well. Okay, and one of the tracks, uh, really interesting this is, not heard of this before, I'm sure people will be aware, this came out in August 2009, this is a song for Chi. <laughs> This is an instrumental alternative metal song recorded by several high-profile rock and metal musicians to raise money for poet and Deftones bass player Chi Cheng, who was, sincere, who was severely injured in a car crash in Santa Clara, California on November 4th, 2008. All profits from the song went directly to Cheng and his family to the, for the purpose of paying for the medical care. Unfortunately, Cheng died in April 2013. And this is a instrumental track, uh, you know, helping to raise money, as they say, and it's got a hell of a ton of members on it. And it's a really cool song as well. It's a really cool idea um, for them to all combine say 30 40 seconds of Slipknot and then Corn, and then yeah, it goes from Killswitcher involved see Robert Trujillo's there as well Machine Head Hatebreed you know I love seeing that there's a music video as well that you see on Vimeo you see them all recording their own parts and you know putting all their things through it and um Apparently it was at Sonosphere, Rob recorded his bass parts for the song. The website was oneloveforchi.com and the initial target of $20,000 was later raised to 50, 100, and then again to 500,000 in 2010. And the website still exists through the archives, a place where fans can read personal blogs and comments from the family and record a message that we played was saying then at the time to speed his recovery, but uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. But yeah, all in all, this song, cool to see Rob part of this. And check this out as well. If you're into just your riffing, your instrumental, 
small, you know, tapestries. All right, and the final track comes from a band called Animal, A-N-I-M-A-L, Poda Latino. Uh, unfortunately, I can't find anything about this band other than the record and the note that Rob appeared on track six. Deja Desert, I think that's called. But yeah, this is kind of heavy, hardcore Argentinian. Obviously, it's all in Spanish, uh, sort of new metal grinding. It's nothing too important or influential. There's gang vocals here and there. And you can definitely hear Rob, you know, hitting that bass hard, like Fieldy would as well. You can hear it loose on the fretboard. And yeah, a cool sort of nugget there. Bit of an odd one. But yeah, th I think this went down actually before the last one. Slightly before maybe, yeah, 1998. So yeah, that actually went down. That goes against all I was saying earlier. That actually went down during his suicide attendance, Aussie, whatever days. But still, kind of cool thing anyway. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I realize it's been, you know, a lot of information thrown at you for a certain extent. I hope it's coherent. There's been a lot of breaks. I've tried to listen back to the tracks between to hopefully it uh, makes some sense. But yeah, thanks as always. Please follow the show at Alf Metallica. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Let me know, please, any songs that I have forgotten. Let me know any songs that you enjoy. Comment below. If you want to support the show, you want to give back to the show, the Patreon is there. I'd be very thankful if you were to do that. Uh, iTunes as well. If you want to give back, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you as well. Um, subscribe to all the chat, all the platforms. Tell your friends about the show. All that good stuff. We'll be back with lots more episodes in the future, lots more recaps going through all the alphabetical songs as well. This has been Tom. Shout out to all these guest appearances as well. And thank you, YouTube and Spotify. You have been invaluable with this research. But yeah, as always, guys, take it easy. Take it easy.